1: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
2: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's bring in Mark Douglas. Uh, he is the CEO of Mountain MNTN, uh, and we bring him in to talk about all things tech, really on the on the comm side, on the streaming side. And I had them all lined up to talk about Netflix and what I feel like is a turnaround in sentiment there, as well as Google. They're getting sued by the Department of Justice, and it's going to be a jury trial. Holy kamoli! Oh <laughs> Could be the first breakup since Ma Bell. Oh, wow. Remember that? Yeah,
1: that can't happen. I I don't
2: think so either. But um, let's talk to Mark first about the tech sector in general. Mark, we have these big earnings coming out this week, uh, Amazon, Alphabet, and Apple. Um, And everyone is expecting this earnings season to be horrendous. So Executives might even take advantage, we thought, of this earnings season to throw in the kitchen sink and get everything out of the way. You know, air all their dirty laundry. It hasn't been that bad, has it? It hasn't. I think um,
3: this is an interesting place to win right now because normally if you look back at all the previous downturns, it's like there's this herd mentality where everyone – like when it rushes to the next thing like when if you go back to 2000 when this the tech sector crashed and yep, yep. everyone ran to <laughs> buy houses and then you know it's like this herd but right now the herd is just kind of grazing <laughs> <laughs> they're just all kind of standing around not knowing where to go or what to do so things are neither like going up nor are they like crashing that hard everyone's waiting for you know what am i supposed to do now nobody seems to know
1: i think what i'm hearing from some tech analysts is Spending still going to grow yeah. in a recessionary environment. It's just going to grow at a, at a lower rate than we've been
3: used to. Is, is that kind of how you see it? Well, it was on fire over the last of course, couple of years, obviously. Yeah. It's very hard to forecast revenue in a tech company right now because your customers don't even know what they want, right. what they're going to spend. So I know for my company, like our customers normally tell us that. By In December, what their plans are for Q1, most of them didn't even know until like third week of January. <laughs> They're still trying to figure it out. So it's really hard to forecast. So I think you're going to see forecasts be pretty soft, but it's an opportunity for overachievement. Everyone's going to be kind of.
2: Kind the, of the other, um, you know, the other thread that we can pull from tech has been labor. Uh, they've been firing all the excess workers that they rushed to hire over the last year and a half, two years. Where do you think we are there? I mean, the the question is a lot of people think they're gonna fire too many people. obviously they hired too many people but can't they run with a surplus of employees well i think
3: some people would say elon elon musk obviously if you say elon you're referring to elon musk <laughs> not that, the other elon not, yeah whoever that is I, I think a lot of people would say elon proved that maybe a lot of tech companies have overhired since you know but nothing has changed since he essentially cut eighty percent of staff, or upwards of eighty percent of staff. I talk to people in some of these big. At tech- Twitter, you mean? Yeah, Twitter. Yeah. I talk to some, pe- you know, people at some of the big companies. I do big tech companies do wonder what do you do for a living at this (laughs) at this company so there's there's definitely fat if you guys see some of the videos that posted where people say the day in the life of working (laughs) at google and uh, and i saw one the other day and the person got laid off a week later. right (laughs) exactly so there's there's fat to cut on in all these so there's still more pink slips to come i I don't know if there's more to come 2000
2: and we haven't seen that kind of firing
3: no no this is definitely i mean what you know everyone Knows we're kind of in a in in a downward, you know, the market crash, everything's going down, but um, it's going to go back up. Also, I I talked to some like people who manage um, trillions of dollars, like the, some of the biggest equity firms in the world and they seem like they're really anxious to put money back in the stock market right. and and if they do the market's gonna go up so I think they people are ready to, to get back in they just want stability before they mark do. what are, what are you
1: hearing from some of the digital advertising players out there I'm, you know we're gonna hear from Facebook and Google and uh, and some of the others Amazon of course this week I, how tough is it out there in the digital
3: ad space? If if you're not in the growth sector, it's pretty tough. So um, my company, we're in performance television. We're, bring, we're turning TV into this direct response ad channel, and so if we look at our customers, we already have they're they're hovering. You know, they're not really increasing or decreasing so but we have all this growth from new customers coming into the market if you don't have that trend of a lot of new customers it's it's a Are you guys tough playing market. in the in the streaming the ad supported streaming business? Exactly. Yeah, okay. we're turning streaming television into essentially ad words for for TV. And that's where the incremental ad dollars are
1: going are they going to peacock versus nbc are they going to paramount plus versus the cbs
3: well they're just going into i think streaming in general general, i think i think it's television after you know it's kind of almost one of the first like traditional ad channels and now for the first time in what is it seven eight decades it's now like this full digital marketing channel, so it's become a growth set. it's it's become a growth sector again and I think all the T V networks, but especially like NBC at Comcast, um, Disney Plus and Hulu, you know, those companies that really obviously Netflix now with their ad business, they're you know, they those companies that really have the dollars to invest in it are gonna benefit the most. Does
2: Google own the marketplace for ads, for digital ads, no matter where you're gonna advertise, no matter um, who's buying the ads? Do they own that? Is that the problem with the Well, well they ads? own they, they own search. I think I'm glad you brought that
3: up. But just in general, a, a little known fact is that for the first time, Google and Meta like don't ha- have less than half the market. That's right. So the rest of the market is actually growing. I mean, on the whole Google lawsuit thing, I think that it's um, not directed where the real action is. The the analogy I would use is what they're suing them over the. Tools, like the, the software that serves an ad. Yep. So that's like going after a company because they have a dominant position in hammers, where <laughs> the real action is, well, they have all the data and they know where people are going to move to. That's where the real yep. action so is. So yep. Google has a, just a massive amount of data. Know, Google knows I'm here right now, right? Because I have Google Maps in my pocket. Yep. But we're going to sue them over the hammers? Like, yeah. it makes n- no sense. And I think this well, lawsuit- Well, I went after Al Capone for tax evasion. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly Uh, that worked so so i think this um the government going after them is not actually going to have much of an impact because where the real action is is the data privacy legislation around the data all privacy legislation makes google meta apple and amazon essentially even stronger because it goes after anonymous data while they have like your personal identity and so they get to continue to use the personal data while everyone else is all right mark matt's a big player on tiktok he's all over that that platform tell us about tiktok what do you tell us what's the future of tiktok um well it's I you, There's so many people using it, it's not going to be banned in the United States. That's that sh- what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. that ship sale. I mean, Trump years ago tried to bring up this issue, and everyone was like, well, if Donald Trump's bringing it up, forgive, we're not going <laughs> to listen. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, they have all of the status and open mic in every living room. But um, TikTok is doing extremely well. I don't see it diminishing in any
2: way in the near future. So they, they are crushing it. And thin- what and about thin- Netflix? I mean, this was. Mm-hmm. Last year, the market beat it down like a redheaded stepchild. And I, (laughs) nothing against gingers. I am a stepchild (laughs) myself. So, but uh, now it seems like sentiment has really shifted, especially after the last earnings report, they added seven and a half million subscribers. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the market is just up and
3: down on, on in general, but on Netflix in particular. The thing about Netflix, just do the math. Let's say their average subscription is like $12 they have 240 million subscribers. Yep. It's like $3 billion a month <laughs> coming in. And people are like, yeah, but they missed, you know, the subscriber numbers by 100,000. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but they got three a billion do- $3 yep. billion dollars a month. It, it's just overreactions, possibly in both directions. Overreacted in terms of downward sentiment, yep. but possibly a little bit in upward sentiment.
1: And we got some new management there, so we'll see how that plays out. Yep. Uh, so good stuff. Mark Douglas, president and CEO of Mountain, joining us in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, giving us the latest on all things tech and all things digital advertising. Quincy Crosby joins us here. She's a chief global strategist for LPL Financial. That's a NASDAQ-traded firm. LPLA is a ticker load into your Bloomberg terminal. Quincy, a lot to digest here this week. What's most important to you? What's going gonna to be your focus this week?
4: Uh, earnings. Earnings uh, simply because we had a, a strong rally. Volume was good on the rally, and the rally was cyclically oriented for the most part. Now, granted, you, you, we can dismiss the rally. We can say it was, you know, short covering uh, traders going in and taking advantage of the tax loss selling in, in you know 2022. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, you you started to see volume pick up in the rally, and it was a rally that. Suggested that the market is looking ahead of everything. You know, we always would say the market gets news first. Anyway, February tends to be a month where the market is, tends to, how shall I say, have these rallies um, dissipate. Uh, it's probably the worst month for the market uh, next to September. So we're going to watch very closely how these big tech names do because they're waiting. In the indexes, it's just them. These are the big tech guys. We're going to see if they can, if they can garner any interest from uh, traders, at least, and, and certainly investors.
2: All right. So, um, what are you looking for to see to prove that this rally really has legs, Quincy? I mean, what are some signs? I was just looking at the breakdown of. Um, mm-hmm. the industrial groups that have won and lost this year. And you've got all the you know, consumer discretionary and tech companies that have done well. Meanwhile, consumer staples and um, you know, utilities have done poorly. So it looks like the defensive are getting sold off and the, um, you know, the growth companies are, are putting up some gains, but I guess that could be explained by the short covering narrative. So what do we need to see um, to ensure us that this rally is solid?
4: Well, what, one thing would be that I look at the semiconductors. They are the they are the consummate bellwether for global growth, and they've been they've actually been days that they've been outperforming even the the uh, growth growth names, the growth their growth brethren, so to speak. We'll see if they can hold. Obviously, then they sell off, but we'll see if they can hold. It's very important that they participate uh, in a rally and stay strong. You know. I, The other thing that we're going to look at is, on a technical basis, is whether or not going through the obstacle course of this week—the earnings obstacle course, the Fed statement, his press conference, then you know Friday's uh, payroll report—and see where wages are, are how they're moving—is whether or not this market, on a rally, if it does rally, can actually uh, cross forty-one hundred on the S and P five hundred. That is, you know, one of the most important levels. For the market and it's been difficult obviously for this market to launch an absolute attack on 4100.
1: Quincy tough tough 2022 for everybody out there in the equity biz in the fixed income markets as you start out 2023 what are you telling your clients in terms of positioning here after such a tough year
4: well you know we're trying to figure out obviously whether or not the market has discounted a recession is it an earnings recession? Is it a rolling recession? Is it going to be a shallow recession? Our view at LPL Research is that it will be fairly shallow. That's with all the information we have now. However, one thing that we have now, it's not just about equities. We've got the fixed income market, and we're looking at it and investing in it. The uh, treasury market is offering very attractive return guaranteed return and investment grade corporates as well we also saw we're not advocating this but we've seen money going into high yield who would ever thought you know with all of these dire headlines money would go into high yield but those are the ones who think we're not going to have a recession it'll be a soft or softest landing but the point is that companies went out and borrowed during the period when money it was so easy and rates were so low. So their their balances, their cash balances are strong. And right now, uh, these companies are still, you know, making certain that they cut costs when they have to and that, you know, they're going to manage uh, costs going into 2023, especially if there is a recession. So we're saying investment-grade corporate, we're saying the Treasury, that can help the portfolio. And also on the equity side, we're looking at dividends. This is crucial, we think, for this market. And, you know, some of the sectors are doing well. Take a look at the uh, industrials. Today they're up. Granted, uh, the uh, the defense names are helping to underpin the, uh, the uh, industrials, along with machinery. So there are pockets in the market that are still attractive, attractively valued, especially after a sell-off, such as we had in the defense names. Uh, but they're coming back. Today. So, again, until there is more certainty in terms of where we are headed and whether or not the market has actually discounted even a percentage of a possibility of that you know, final, final deep sell-off, we want the clients to be uh, certain, careful, conservative.
2: Quincy, I just want to ask, uh, before you came to Wall Street, you spent a lot of time at diplomatic postings around the world. Uh, You served as Assistant Secretary of Commerce and also um, as energy attache at the US Embassy in London. Um, What do you think about the reopening of China and the kind of, I guess, the the spat that seems to be, you know, mellowing out between the US and China right now? How is that going to drive the market this year?
4: You know, obviously th- th- this is, you know, a major event. It's the world's second largest economy. And it was interesting that when they uh, announced the final lift of, of the zero COVID policy, the, the countries that country indexes that got a boost were none other than Germany, France, uh, Italy. These are the, these are the strongest trading partners in the West with China, not necessarily the US. So the question becomes, whether or not this um you know multilateral approach that, that we see from China around the world trying to shore up uh you know positive on the bilateral front good feelings and so on even with the united states but whether or not it masks um you know the issue on taiwan and the other issue is regarding um selling of any kind of um Technology that helps the military. Their military has grown; it's grown faster than our military. Take a look at the uh, the naval component. It's it's larger than than some uh, the U S. And even today, I mean, speaking of you know Europe, yep. uh, the U S. has been pushing the Netherlands with ASML. That you know it's a it it is a. Uh, a, a chip maker right it, 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 it's a, a manufacturer of chips uh, finally they have come out and said they're going to be more careful with their sales uh to china they're going to you know try try to break off some of the the parts that would go right into north, right. north. Um, yeah so that is not going away and you know and by the way it is in the u.s across the aisles democrats and republicans both, this is an area where they agree. They yep. do One not of the few. want to be soft on China.
2: One of the very yeah, few. Absolutely. Quincy, thanks so much for joining us. Quincy Crosby there. She is Chief Global Strategist at LPL Financial, joining us to talk about what to expect in the markets after this rally that we've seen and throughout the rest of the year.
1: Let's talk stocks right now. Ted Oakley, founder and managing partner of Oxbow Advisors joins us. Ted, I mean, 2022 brutal year for equities also for uh, fixed income as well. How, what do you what's the message you went out to your clients with when you were kind of saying, "All right, let's get ready for 2023?"
8: Well, I think, you know, what we did in 22 was we were extremely defensive. You know, we were uh, 50 to 60% uh, cash or short-term treasuries primarily. So while just uh, unheard while of, perfect, but your 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 clients
1: was, don't <laughs> your clients don't mind you being in that much cash?
8: Well, we were getting you've got to remember now, uh, it's not the it's not Tina anymore. <laughs> you you yep. can get you can get four and a half percent or four sixty five right now on even a three month and so we we do a lot with the floating rate treasuries, but that's just a holding spot for us. Um and then this year coming into it, we just don't have I mean we have a lot of stocks on the in a 200, probably a 200 stock uh, screen we have, but none of those are, they're just not in valuation areas where we want to uh, come back in. We own stocks, but the stocks we've already owned, but we're not buying too many things, you know, right at this point, other than some income items. We are buying in another portfolio.
2: What, what are the levels that you're watching for and um, what do you think it's gonna take for us to get down back down there again? Because we've had pretty a pretty enthusiastic rally.
8: We have, and I will tell you it reminds me of uh the January of o one two thousand one, yeah you know the market sold off hard nasdaq uh you know during two thousand came back at the end of the year, had a good month in January, and then rest of the year Nasdaq getting up lower by far below that, and so we're sort of, and people they talk about you know 2009-11, but actually the market was lower before it ended up the year like that. So anyway, going back to your question, what we're looking for—if you say we're going to do two hundred dollars on the S and I know everybody's at two twenty-five and all that—but we think two hundred would be the best. It might be one ninety 190 or one ninety-five, and really? so if you put, yeah, but you know if you look at two hundred, it's only. 12 or 13 percent below estimates it's not that far Mm -hmm. so if you do 200 and you take you know you take an S&P at call it 4060 you're almost a 20 multiple right now and that's not where you get your best buys ever and so that's kind of where we're looking at it I think that's I think that's yet to come, and and so we'll we'll see. I guess that's that's what makes a horse race, but that's where okay. we are right now. So,
1: you know, this is going to be a busy week, Ted, for earnings. We've got 109 S&P 500 companies reporting here. Um, do you think we're going to start seeing some big revisions downward in earnings guidance from a lot of these companies?
8: Well, you should, but one of the things that we've noticed so much the last five years, really, is they've been allowed to get away with so much in the way of accruals and all these adjustments to gap earnings that you have to look through a lot of it. Uh, but I think if you looked at <clears throat> excuse me, the real cash earnings, yes, I think those are, some of those are going to have to be revised down for sure.
1: So what are some of the sectors here? I mean, I, I mean as you sit there with the high levels of cash, when you do get ready to deploy, where do you think you'll, you'll put it? Will it be in some of the defensive names where you try to get back into growth? Where do you think the play is going to be?
8: Well, we have a mix. Uh, we have a mix now, but if you look at our favorite companies, you know they're going to be companies that can go through a tough recession period. If you take Visa and Mastercard, you know they have enough cash in a quarter almost to pay off all the debt. Um, and and if you inflate, people use cards. You know, the prices go up, people use cards more. We think two other things like that. You know, uh, obviously, you know we like uh, some defensive names: O'Reilly, um, United Health. And then we, you know, we own the, we own the oils. We own gas pipelines. Uh, and we particularly like the oil royalties because you don't have the capital investment. And so, uh, we think we mix all those together and come up with a pretty good you know, a pretty good mix overall, so we get some cash flow at the same time. Ted, and we're I am getting 465 on the Treasury.
1: Yep, absolutely. And I, kn- I know you're based in Texas there, I'm um, just envisioning you sitting around with your buddies talking oil nonstop. Um, what is kind of the the feeling down there about energy? Because uh, it's had such a, really, two great years for investors.
8: Yeah. Well, you know, I mentioned this to you before, but a lot of the oil people are not uh they're not great for sentiment period. you know they get really <laughs> excited about when the price is up for us we felt we've actually cut back on the majors and added to the royalties because the royalties pay a lot more cash and if we miss it and oil goes higher we'll participate either way but i think what they forget is that um you know you've had a big run and if you do slow the economy down that's not a guarantee but if you do slow it down no matter what happens um you know, the price of oil will drip a little bit. And I know they never look at this, but if you look at, at miles driven by people in the last year, it's down. And so I think, you know, gasoline, which is a big piece of that, uh, will probably be, you know, its consumption will go lower. But, they're you know, that's, that's what they think. What we think is it will drift with the economy. And then, you know, if you want to pick it up a lower level, you probably can.
2: So you don't think we're going to see – remember in um, 2008 when we knew that – Uh, The whole world was going to hell in a handbasket. But
5: um,
2: the Chinese were still driving more and more and more cars, and things weren't quite as bad in Europe as they were here yet. The housing crisis hadn't uh, rolled around the world. And oil went to $146 a barrel. They don't think that's going to happen again?
8: Oh, yeah, eventually. Yeah, I do. I think think this is just a short-term swoon. uh, But long-term, if you look at... If you look at the numbers and supply and demand, it's almost impossible not to go back up. I mean, uh, it's just once you come out of it into a newer, a better economy, and you got to remember, China's just coming out too now. So once you come out, and us and everybody else, then you're going to be in a situation where the price, the price will go, it'll go, it has almost has to go up right now. Not not short term, but I'm talking about in the long term. It has to go up because there's not enough of it.
1: Ted, how do folks down in Texas really think about uh, kind of this move towards a more greener energy uh, infrastructure, if, if you will, maybe in terms of time or just kind of how,
2: what's- As that? an investment opportunity. I yeah. mean, are you taking advantage of it even though you're surrounded by wildcatters?
8: Oh yeah, if you look across Texas, we have a tremendous amount of uh, wind power now and a tremendous amount of solar power. All of those are are, are you know if you, you go out in the ranches and uh, in Texas and look around it they have, um, a lot of them have windmills now I mean a lot and you know so they're using wind they're using solar it's not they're not um, not using it they just they blend it in with the other things they have
1: all right Ted good stuff appreciate it. always checking in with you Ted Oakley he's a founder and managing partner of Oxbow Advisors. <laughs> Let's check out uh, what some of the pros are doing in the marketplace here, because again, a busy, busy week, lots of earnings, lots of eco data. Lyle Heimbaugh uh, joins us. He's a partner at Granite Group Advisors. Lyle, uh, thanks for joining us here at Brutal 2022. We've got a busy, busy week here. The markets have rebounded off of those October lows. What are you telling your clients?
9: Uh, great question. Right now, you know, you know, it's everything uh, for us is really about you know valuation, 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 right? So, when you look at the market today, and this is uh, part of the things that we put in our quarterly commentary to our clients, uh, is that we're trading at eighteen point two times this year's earnings. In, in itself, that's not so bad. But when you look at historical norms of being between fifteen and sixteen. Um, It's a little high, right? So we could have a little bit of retrenchment here coming down, but it's not so bad if we have the growth. But if we don't have the growth, there would be really no reason uh, to really go chase the market up here at at this particular moment. 100%. And by the way, that's
2: across all companies, even those that don't have an E, right? If you look at all the companies, only the ones that have an E, we're trading it almost 20 times. Earnings. Yeah, the
9: the ones that have an E are, are like really the really the small cap guys. There there are a bunch of small companies uh, that I tell the VC guys that call us cold call us who said there's no reason for me to place money with you privately when I can get public valuation, uh, private val- equity valuations in the public market at this point, right? So some of them are, you know the the E is essential going <laughs> forward here in a uh, sort of a flat market.
2: How much, by the way? Um how much of this could change? We, we, we've been talking about earnings performance on the S&P, on the NASDAQ, but we're only 20% into it, right? What kind of swings do you see in an, in an earnings season like this um, when there seems to be so much uncertainty in the markets? Is there uncertainty in the the remaining 80% of the companies coming out with earnings, or do we have a pretty good indicator?
9: Well, I think the indications are pretty good for those of people that uh – put out the earnings in advance. But, you know, right now, you know, I think earn, the cost of goods sold is increasing. So, I mean, like, we don't think there's going to be a really hard landing or economic recession. But in the short term here, I think there's going to be uh, a margin recession, right? So top line's okay, uh, but the bottom line might be affected because it's just so much, costs so much more to, uh, you, know, you know, to establish that output for, for, you know, to deliver a product.
2: How much of it also... You know, is being measured against an unfair, an unfair time. I mean, um, you know, because Paul is so focused on the media and streaming and everything, um, they've gone through a- an exceptional and extraordinary period, the likes of which is unlikely to be repeated for decades. Right. I mean, when's the next time we're all going to be locked in our homes, forced to watch every single program on Netflix?
9: <laughs> Yeah, well, I, uh, I'm I'm guilty of that. I went through uh, I did some binge watching uh, for a while. So the uh, but the I can't foresee. You know, you can't predict the uh, unpredictable, right? When stuff like that happens, uh, it is it is really it's it's a once in a lifetime kind of event, and that's why the valuations in tech got so crazy back in 21. Right? At the end of 21, we were like really three standard deviations overvalued back in you know November. Uh, in December of twenty one, it was really expensive, and now and that's why you've seen this you know you know uh, pullback in Nasdaq. The Nasdaq's still over. I, I would say that the Nasdaq's still slightly overvalued. I still think we're we have some downside, really, in, just in general, the S and P and the Nasdaq. But I think there's going to be um, uh, another. Uh, I think a, a milder leg down won't be as uh, uh, big as twenty twenty two, but twenty twenty three is. So far is, uh, based on what I see in the earnings, it, it, we should have some short-term volatility going on to the downside.
1: Lyle, one of the concerns that I think some some strategists call out and some man- fund managers call out is earnings risk. And I, if I look at the S&P 500 on the Bloomberg terminal, looking like about $220 per share earnings this year. Some folks are even suggesting the downside could be 200 uh to earnings here. Are, are you in that camp? Do you think earnings risk is, is material in this market?
9: It is. You know, from when you look at it, that's a great question. When you look at it from a historical perspective, you know, there's, there, I don't want to scare your audience, but if you look at trough Ford PEs, you get a much lower S and P number. But let's assume we're not going to have this hard landing, and then when you look at the valuations here, you know, assume a sixteen, you know, multiple, you know, at least for the short term, if we don't have, you know, a, a fall off in the economy, but. At the end of the day, if if the 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 guys are right, some people are looking at 195, 200. Uh, my friends over at Credit Suisse they're saying uh, you know, 215 as a best case scenario. You apply a 16 multiple, you're getting 3200, 3400, right? Uh, at least mm-hmm. on the short term, right? So, but you have to. I think you know for long term investors, I think you really got to look out to 2024. Right now, you see earnings coming down. I saw on Bloomberg, I think. Um, I think earnings for this year are down to 224, 223. Uh, but for next year, the earnings are starting to come down for 2024, and they were at 255. I think they're down to 248, 247, and that's just starting. Um, so when you look at normal metrics, you know, you, you, you know, you and since the market looks forward, not backwards, uh, you really got to look at. You know, a 16 multiple, I think, would be normal and base it on around 240 or so. And you're going to get around 37, 38, 3900.
2: Um, Lyle, what do you expect to hear from Jay Powell and co on or really just from uh, Chairman Powell on Wednesday? Can he deliver a very hawkish 25 basis points? Is that what we're? we're looking for now
9: yeah i think i think i think you know the market's predicting 25 basis points that's 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 a done deal uh if he goes 50 basis points which I, i'm sort of hoping he will just to rip the band-aid off and get this over with because you know remember his mandate is to really control in- inflation and inflation is controlled by wage inflation uh core inflation is controlled by wage inflation and uh he's he's really got to get that on control if he does 50 uh this market will go down
1: all right, Lyle. Good stuff. Appreciated as always. Lyle Heimball. He is the partner at Granite Group Advisors.
5: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country.
1: It's interesting. Ford hits back at Tesla's price cut by lopping nearly $6,000 off the Mustang Mach-E. I want to see what's going on there. What do the folks in Detroit really think about this stuff? Keith Naughton, he covers the autos uh, industry uh, for Bloomberg. Uh, He is based in our Detroit bureau. Keith, you know, Ford here, what do you think they're doing? Are they following Tesla? Are they trying to be a price leader? Is there a demand problem out there? What's going on with this price cut?
6: Uh, They're absolutely following Tesla. That's what they told me when I asked them that direct question. Is this a response to Tesla? The answer was yes. So they're trying to, you know, build a beachhead in the electric vehicle market. Tesla controls two thirds of the U.S. market and Ford is the number two seller of electric vehicles, thanks to the Mustang Mach-E. So they're cutting prices by an average of forty five hundred dollars a car, um, That's as much as a 9% cut, um, but Tesla's cuts, you might recall, were as much as 20%. So Tesla has a much wider profit margin that it can mine as it cuts prices. Uh, Ford already has admitted that it's losing money on the Mach-E.
2: But the Mach-E looks way cooler than a Tesla. I mean, the Tesla design hasn't <laughs> changed since I first drove one in 2010, you know, um, and for some cars that works like the Dodge Challenger, I think, has been around in its current form since before that. But the Mach-E is like the new, new thing, right? Or um, to, to my eye, at least, it's certainly more interesting and more pleasing.
6: Yeah, I mean, the Mach-E came out a couple of years ago. Uh, it is newer, but obviously You know, American buyers vote with their pocketbooks, right? And Tesla controls two-thirds of the electric vehicle market in the United States.
2: So what do the sales look like for the Mach-E then, Keith? I mean, um, I'm seeing more and more of them. I test drove one last year, uh, and maybe that's what sort of opened my eyes to it. it. Is it selling well,
6: Oh, yeah, Matt. It's selling fantastic. Uh, Ford's EV sales more than doubled last year. And part of what's going on here in a way that Ford is hoping to improve the, the margin picture on this vehicle is they are boosting capacity at their Mexican plant by 67%. So they plan to build 130,000 Machis this year up from 67,000 last year.
2: The exciting thing to me is that you can get into such a cool looking vehicle yeah. um, with, you know, the obvious torque benefits of an EV for so cheap. I mean, every other vehicle I look at is costing eye popping amounts and this one still hovers around, you know, 40, 45 grand, even with options.
6: Yep. Yeah, the lowest price Maki. Uh, they cut the price on that one by nine hundred dollars, so that now starts at forty five nine ninety five. That's the um, Real World Drive mm. one. Uh, the high end Maki, which is the um, the GT, uh, they cut that price by fifty nine hundred, so that now starts at sixty three nine ninety five. Uh, there's another. California route one extended range edition that starts around 57.9. So, you know, it's right uh, starting below 50 grand and then climbing.
2: From well, but Keith, when I do the math as a consumer who looks to save uh, taxes in any way I can, I'm adding the credit back in. Is that, is that right for me to add the $7,500 credit back in? Is that a lock with the Ford Mustang Mach-E or are we still not sure exactly who's going to get these credits?
6: Um, you can get the credit um, currently if you're below a uh, 55K on this type of vehicle. So, some of the Mach E's will qualify. Certainly the the um, base model at 45995 but there's also an all wheel drive model that also is below the 55 bogey. So, um, you can qualify it for it on some of the Mach E models. Wait, so, that's
2: the cutoff? No, no EV, you know, totally. 100% BEV, if it costs more than 55000 gets the $7,500 tax credit anymore?
6: For this particular model configuration, there's different uh, levels. It's a very complex formula. It's as so confusing. You know that. Yeah. And, and it's a formula that's still in flux and will change uh, more in the coming months.
1: Hey, Keith, you know, Kevin Tynan at Bloomberg Intelligence has been really consistent on his EV analysis over the last several years, We're basically saying when Detroit can make money on EVs, they'll make EVs. But if they're cutting the price here, what's Ford saying about the profitability, the unit profitability of these things?
6: Ford has said since June that the profits have been wiped out on the Mach-E because of rising commodity costs. They are working continually to try and cut costs out of this thing. They feel like Boosting production as much as they're doing is going to help the profit picture. You know, they're trying to make up for it in volume, if you will. But they are not making money on this car. The, the choice they're making right now is to try and gain market share, establish that beachhead. They like being the number two seller of electric vehicles, way ahead of General Motors. So they want to stay in that position and grow from there. And sometimes you have to take some short-term pain to make the long-term gain.
1: Keith, you're in Detroit. What are the real car people in Detroit? What are they saying about the EV business? Are they grudgingly moving towards EVs? Or, they
2: or are like they rushing now to try and rushing, get, yeah. get, get,
6: get ahead? I see EVs everywhere. There's Teslas in my neighborhood. There's Rivians in my neighborhood. They are not knuckle-draggers here in Detroit. They are <laughs> driving EVs. So, And everybody likes the instant torque like Matt I've driven the Mach-E several times it's a it's a blast as are all the EVs out there because of that instant torque you I've drove the F150 Lightning you know you you touch the accelerator pedal on that thing and it's like warp speed so how can you not enjoy this so yeah this car town loves electric vehicles
1: do we do we know whether there's going to be more Needed more laborers to build these things
2: or less? Fewer, right? It fewer? takes fewer to uh, fewer people to Absolutely. put together. Yeah.
6: Yep, there are fewer moving parts in an electric vehicle, and it'll take, I don't know, I think the estimates have been about one-third fewer workers to assemble them. You know, you have an electric motor um, uh, yeah. or multiple electric motors. There's, there's just not a lot. It's not as much as you get from an internal combustion engine.
1: In terms yeah, of that's what I thought. That's what I thought. All right, good stuff. Keith Naughton, uh, he's our autos reporter based in Detroit, which is a good thing. That's where you want him to be. Uh, Talking about the EV business, Ford cutting the price on their Mach-E, pretty significant. And, I mean, they're pretty clear, I mean, as Keith was reporting, in response to Tesla. They want
2: to take market share, and um, it's a cool little vehicle to do so. I just think they need more.